I'd like to introduce myself to you guys today. My name is Bob Miller. Um, I speak here sometimes, uh, just not often lately. So I was uh, skiing in Colorado last week, so uh, enjoying a little time away. But this morning, I, w- I want to, uh, this is going to be true confessions time, okay? So there's absolutely no judgment here at Wellspring. But I, I need to know, who are the criers in here? Like the people just a drop of a hat over maybe just nothing, just weep, right? Some of you are raising each other's hands, right, to make sure you're confessing correctly, okay? How many of you are the people that feel really uncomfortable around other people who cry? That's me right here, right? I mean, I've gotten better as I've gotten older, but especially when I was younger, like, Man, people crying just kind of wigged me out. Like I had no idea how to respond or enter into that time with them. And so um, it was very awkward. So um, I want to um, share a couple of clips with you this morning of some of my favorite scenes from uh, one's from a movie, one's from a TV show about just the issue of crying. So. What is this salty discharge, right? I'm one of those uh, kind of stoic people that, that rarely cry about things that happen in the real world, but you put me in a movie theater and I just like routinely fall apart and like everybody else around me is like, what is up with you? You're right, I'm always kind of the one hiding, you know, trying to, to keep my tears from everybody else. So I don't know if you can relate to that, but um, so why are we talking about crying this morning? Why, why are we leading off with that? Well, there's, really only, there's only two times in the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, where the writers um, let us know that Jesus wept on a couple of different occasions, and one of those occasions was on Palm Sunday, uh, which is today on, on the calendar. Um, Palm Sunday was the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time, and it kind of kick-started the, the series of events that led to his death on the cross, which we'll celebrate here on Friday and then Easter on Sunday. So um, I think we can learn a lot from kind of the circumstances and the events surrounding um, what was going on in those couple of times that Jesus cried and that give us some insight into his heart as our Savior and, and what really matters to him. And so I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles today to Luke chapter 19. It's page 733. Luke 19. We're going to start in verse 28. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miraculous, all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, uh, those were the religious teachers, said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So there's a lots of different angles that we could take on this passage, but today I want to kind of focus in on verse 41 that said, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And so first, I think it's important for us to understand the importance of Jerusalem to the Jews. Okay, it was, it was kind of the, the capital of, of the, the, the politics and religion and everything kind of wrapped up into one. And if you remember the story, you know, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt and Moses takes them out across the desert and is leading them towards this land that God has promised for them. It takes them a while to get there, mainly because of their disobedience. But even when they got there, they had to fight and, and uh, you know, defeat all of these other peoples that were living there. Finally, they get this land and eventually David becomes king and he makes Jerusalem kind of the center point, the city of God. And he builds his home there and builds the temple there. And it's also the, the place where uh, Jews that were spread out across the Mediterranean area, they would make pilgrimages to Jerusalem for the religious holidays several times a year. And so not only that, in, in that context, but then in the future, it's, it's the place where Jesus is going to return and, and rebuild this uh, city of Jerusalem in just unbelievable beauty and grandeur. So it was a center of power for, for the Jews. And after three years of public ministry, it's probably the one place that Jesus, you know, more than anything, wanted to get what his whole ministry was about. Because if he could convince the people of Jerusalem, obviously, that would give him a tremendous amount of credibility or whatever. So it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, the city that would hang him on a cross in five days, he says he wept over it. So, and we've talked about this before. <clears throat> What do you think in the King James Version, what word do they use for the word when he saw the city? That when he beheld it, right? We talked about that word behold and what that means. And that the word saw is not a very good translation there, okay? Because behold implies something a, a much more deep, uh, a much longer kind of looking, okay? To look with care, to fix your eyes upon, to pay attention to. So when Jesus got up to the Mount of Olives and he looked down over the city of Jerusalem. It says that he beheld the city. He took it in. He paused for a moment, okay? And then it says, and he wept over it. Now, the Greek word that the New Testament would have been written in um, for wept is much deeper than just this idea of he shed a few tears, 
The, the actual best translation of that would have been something like, he lamented with sobs. So in other words, he wailed. He wailed. How awkward that must have been, right? Because think about what's going on in the moment in which he enters into this, this morning, right? Jesus <clears throat> is, is heading towards Jerusalem at the time of the Passover holiday, which is like the biggest celebration on the Jewish calendar. And so pilgrims from all over the Mediterranean are there, and, and, and best estimates are somewhere between two and two and a half million people are swelling the streets of Jerusalem during this time, okay? And, and Jesus' notoriety is, is, is really high, all right? Many people have heard about him. He just raised Lazarus from the dead, okay? His legend is growing. People are thinking that he might be the Messiah, the, the Savior that the Jewish people have been waiting for for centuries, that maybe he was going to be the guy that was going to get them out from underneath Roman rule and set them free from that. And he's riding in the town. He's not quite there yet. He's a little bit on the outskirts, and he's surrounded just by kind of his, his close-knit followers, his disciples and, and, and his posse, okay? And they're, they're worshiping him as if he is a conquering king coming into Jerusalem, like fresh off the battlefield, victory. They're throwing palms out in his path. They're, they're taking off their own coats and putting them down as a symbol of respect and honor. And it says that, that in the midst of that, they're also um, joyfully praising God in loud voices. And so there's this massive sound of people saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It is a fever pitch of emotion. I mean, this is three years they've been out on the road with Jesus, right? Taking some lumps, being persecuted, the haters and the doubters. And, and, and finally, they're coming to this place where they're like, man, maybe finally Jesus is going to set himself up as the king that he rightfully is. And so that's what they hoped was going to be happening. And in the midst of that scene of excitement and that anticipation and that longing, and it's going to get even crazier when he goes into town and people recognize that he's there because the streets are just going to come packed, screaming and shouting the same things, Hosanna in the highest. Jesus starts bawling in deep sadness. And I'm picturing kind of one of those snot-filled, puffy-eyed, just awkward, just wailing cries. He was being a Debbie Downer. And, and, and I'm not sure that this is true, but I heard that, that the song, It's my, cry, my Party and I'll Cry If I Want To, came from this scene. It was inspired by this moment. Now, don't quote me on that, but right, Jesus is like, hey, if I want to cry, I'll cry, right? What do you think that the disciples did in that moment? I mean, can you imagine being all excited and singing, woohoo, we're going to do this, and all of a sudden it's like, woohoo, you know? What's up with this guy, you know? I mean, it was just another one of those moments. We see him throughout Scripture where the people surrounding Jesus really had no idea of the implications of what was going on, right? Nobody else besides Jesus knew that this was his last week on earth. And he knew that these same crowds that were praising his name now were going to be the same crowds that were going to be shouting crucify him in just a few days, and, and that, was, that was heavy on Jesus' heart that morning. I want you to look at the passage again, <clears throat> maybe starting in verse 42. <laughs> Why does Jesus say that he's crying? Or, or what does he say that gives us some indication of, of why he's weeping? 
anyone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean his heart is heavy. Definitely. What else? Yeah, they were offered they were offered this peace and they couldn't see it, so there's this missed opportunity. What else? What else was he seeing in the future? Yeah, Gary? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's the reality of what's going on right now, the people that are being impacted just in that moment. But Jesus, because he is God, can also see what's going to happen in 70 AD, which if you go to your history books is going to tell you that the Romans came into Jerusalem in 70 AD and just knocked it to the ground, burned it everything down, destroyed the temple, knocked the walls down, killed thousands and thousands of people. Okay, so Jesus has the heaviness not only of that moment, he has the heaviness of 70 AD and what's going to happen, but he also has the heaviness of just all of eternity, because really he's speaking to each one of us as well, of the missed opportunity that so many people you know, throughout the centuries just miss, that peace that could have been theirs, right? And in addition to just all of that, Jesus just loves people deeply. I mean, what do we know about his desire for every person that he creates? We see it in Second Peter. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, that's his desire, that every person that he creates would get his message, would come into repentance. And so the goal of our Christian faith is to bring glory to God by being an accurate reflection of his son Jesus to a watching world. So if we were to be like Jesus, then what are we to do with this weeping and wailing, heartbroken Savior this morning? What does it look like to to imitate that? Because if I'm honest, I'm not sure that I have that much emotion for people. So I've got some things to learn. Here's the truth that I know about for me. I am much more apt to cry for myself. So a lot of times when I do cry, it tends to be like, tears of joy, tears of gratitude. Sometimes when I'm worshiping here on Sunday morning, I'm thinking about what God's done in my life and how far he's brought me, and I can, I can get emotional about that. I can maybe shed some tears when I think about how grateful I am for my family or my friends. That can spark emotion in me, certainly. But how often do I cry for others? Maybe sometimes I might cry over their maybe material poverty or an illness they might be suffering from, or um, any number of just kind of troubling circumstances in their life. But rarely do I ever really cry over someone's spiritual bankruptcy. And maybe you can relate to me. Maybe I'm just a cold-hearted savage of a man. I don't know. But I think some of it boils down to this. I think the reason why I don't is because it's hard to see the eternal consequences for those that are spiritually lost and separated from God. 
Because I, I believe that there is a hell, but it's hard for me to comprehend how horrible of a place that is for those who in this life just reject God. So let me ask you this question. What do we have to believe is true in regards to eternity in order to elicit some emotion in our hearts towards others? What do we have to believe is true in regards to eternity in order to elicit some emotion in our hearts towards others? Just real fundamentally, we have to believe that what? What's that? That there is a hell and that it's bad, right? Because if we don't really believe those things, then we're not really going to be that motivated to care much about the spiritual condition of other people, right? So when I go around St. Joe and I see broken and lost and spiritually bankrupt people, why doesn't it move me very much, very often? Even if we struggle with grasping the concept of hell, and mainly because people have kind of turned it into this cartoon Right? Like the far side had so many cartoons about hell that just kind of poke fun at it, right? The pitchforks and the fires and, you know, the endless Barry Manilow soundtrack or Kenny G or whatever you want to put in there, right? We can at least grasp this reality. If we can't really grasp it from an image standpoint, we can grasp this that hell will be a place that is completely absent of the presence of God. Forever. So if you can imagine a place that forever is devoid of love and joy and peace and hope. And if you spend more than just a few seconds thinking about that, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. (laughs) So in order to elicit some emotion in us, first of all, we have to believe that there is a hell and that it's horrible. Secondly, what do we have to believe about all people? What do we have to believe about all people in order to elicit some emotion in us? That they're God's children, right? That they are precious to him, right? <clears throat> and, and Jesus taught this. I mean, we see it in Scripture, right? He says, love your enemies. And, and he modeled it when he was hanging on the cross. He looked down at the Roman soldiers that had just beaten and mocked him and nailed him to these boards. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And there was this love, even for the people that were, were hating him in that moment. And you see that the destruction of something that elicits emotion in our hearts has everything to do with the value that we ascribe to that thing. So for instance, if somebody's house burns down, some people might be really upset that, about the house itself, the structure, because that structure means or represents something to them of high value, okay? Maybe because of the things that have happened there or the, the cost that it took to get that or how hard they had to work or whatever it might be. Other people might not care at all about the house, they would be heartbroken over the things in the home, right? That they couldn't get out, the heirlooms, the family photos, the, 
you know, brooch from grandma that got handed down or whatever it might be, okay? Because that's what they had ascribed value to. Many of us don't weep for spiritually lost people because we don't value them as priceless treasures of God. We forget what's at stake. And above all, we fail to elicit much emotion for others because caring, which often leads to tears and leads to just brokenheartedness and, and heartache, it's emotionally exhausting. Right? To make a deep investment in people and to really care can really wear you out. And so instead, we kind of put up these walls and self-protect, and we kind of narrow life down to a few people, our family, our friends, our close friends that we kind of are willing to kind of emote for, convincing ourselves that maybe there isn't a hell or there aren't really that many consequences for sin or that we're not responsible for bringing the good news to other people. The problem is is that some of Jesus' last words to us were verses like this in Mark 16, 15, where he says to his disciples after he's resurrected and comes back to earth, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You see, those kinds of things aren't suggestions. They're commands. Right? If we're going to call ourselves a follower of Christ, if we're going to be like him, he says, this is what my people will do. In 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul wrote this, Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Man, woe to me. Do we have any skin in the game? I think we need a perspective change. Or at least a massive reminder this morning of what's at stake in the world, right? In order to connect with Jesus, this Jesus that we see in Luke 19 today. We need, we need a big reminder. And again, I think a lot of it has to do with this issue of beholding. Do we stop long enough to behold, to, to fix our eyes upon, to pay attention to, to observe with care, this city of St. Joseph, or wherever you live, the people that fill your streets, fill your schools, fill your stores, or are we just disgusted with people at the way that they live or the way that they act, the way that they treat one another or how cruel they are to their children or how they take our tax dollars because they're freeloading off of us? that we forget that they are precious to our Savior. That he died for them, too. Do we behold our own salvation? The reality that he shed tears for me and for you. That he was gracious and patient with each one of us. How easily frustrated he could have been with our stupidity at several different times in our life. Because you see, having a healthy perspective on our own need for forgiveness awakens our heart to care for other people. In the Old Testament, there were these tortured souls called prophets. 
And from time to time, God would have something to say to his people. And so he would choose somebody and he'd say, you're going to be my mouthpiece, my messenger. And I'm going to speak to you and then you're going to go speak to the people. And usually it was kind of like when God was upset about some things. So usually the message that they were bringing wasn't very pleasant. A lot of times they had been disobedient to God. They'd maybe start worshiping foreign gods or worshiping themselves and their own ability to do things. And one of these prophets was a guy named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Sounds like an awesome calling in life, right? (laughs) And in the midst of communicating some troubling news to his fellow Israelites about some of the consequences for the sin, what that was going to mean for them, we see this window into Jeremiah's heart. Jeremiah 8.21 says this. Let me put that up there. Todd. (laughs) There you go. Jeremiah 8.21 says this. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn. And horror grips me. Since my people are crushed... I am crushed, I mourn, and horror grips me. Do we see the people of St. Joe as my people? Or what about just even the people on your street, in your neighborhood? And God's shining a big light on me right now because I can't stand my next door neighbor, all right? I can't stand her, honestly. Whew. Yes. Because if we believe that God has placed us in this city for a reason, that we're here, God gives us the opportunity to mourn for the lost people that surround us every day. The opportunity to connect with his heart. We also have the freedom and the opportunity to just go about our business. To just not really care about what's going on around us. But in doing so, we fail to know, to really know the Christ who stopped on the road and sobbed when he thought about the destruction of the people in Jerusalem that he created, that he loved, that he knew were settling for less, that were believing lies about themselves and about what was going to bring them joy in life. We miss that Jesus if we choose to just ignore what's going on around us, the hurting people in our lives. And I'm not really sure what to do with this message, really, or what we need to do. There's not like a simple way to kind of wrap this up and say, go do this. But I think part of it has to do with that issue of beholding. Do we take the time to behold? Behold our city? Behold the people that God places in our lives? Do we really look with attention and care into the people that God brings across our path every day? Do we look at our own salvation? Do we behold it and think about how far God had to go to save us? And how we're not any better than anyone else in this world that needs Christ. And maybe we need to ask him what needs to change in the attitudes of our hearts. 
what prideful thoughts and perspectives needs to be crushed so that we can connect with this heart of Christ that we talked about this morning so that we can care like he does. Maybe a good thing to do in addition to beholding is to begin to start to pray a prayer. Maybe something like this. God, break my heart for the people that break yours. Break my heart for the people that break yours. Give me eyes to see them as you do so that I understand the urgency to take the gospel into all creation. Let's pray.